You thought I was through with the sovereignty of God, but actually I'm not. Um, we went through God being sovereign over creation and God being sovereign over kings and kingdoms, nations. And we have went over that God is sovereign over salvation. And when I go through that, I'm, I know it was so clear that there's no possible way you didn't understand it. But just in case, because here's what happens when a message like that goes forth. The objection always comes up. The question always comes up. If God is sovereign over salvation, then why evangelize? So this morning I'm going to talk about that God is sovereign over missions or evangelism. So if you would bow your heads with me. Father, this morning I just want to come before you and I pray, God, I'm in all of my shortcomings and all of my flaws and failures and sinfulness and all of that, Lord, my prayer this morning, God, is that you would get glory for yourself. I just want to pray, Lord, that you would use me as your instrument, that, God, you would give me grace to speak clearly, concisely, Lord, um, God, to open up the scriptures and to look at them for what they say, Father. And God, help me, Lord, where I err and I do things in a wrong way. But I pray that in all of this, God, I believe and trust in that you are sovereign and your word will accomplish what you have purposed to do, purposed it to do as it goes forth. And I just want to pray this in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Well, so what, how do we answer the question? You know, I, I, sometimes I get questions like this. If God sovereignly chooses who will be saved, then, then why do we evangelize? I mean, it's a, it's a fair question in a way. I mean, I can under, a matter of fact, I can understand it because I've been there on that side of the fence. Or we talk about irresistible grace. And if it's irresistible and everyone that God has chosen in eternity past, and they're going to come because Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me, they will come and I will not lose any of them then really why do we evangelize? Well, here's the answer to that question. We evangelize, first, because God commanded it, and second, because not only is God sovereign over the ends, but God is also sovereign over the means to the end. I mean, yes, to answer the question, could God have just said, this is what I want to happen, and just boom, he makes everything the way he wants it to be in the end, without there ever being a journey, life, death, anything, and we were just there. Yet, God could have done that. And I say that with a little bit of hesitancy because everything God does is perfect. So for me to say that God could have done that, well, God's saying I wouldn't have done that. I'm doing things exactly the way that I have intended to do them. And so with that in mind, I want to give you a quote from a man named J.I. Packer. He says this, God's way of saving men is to send out his servants to tell them the gospel. And the church has been charged to go into all the world for that very purpose. So this morning, there's really two things that I, at least two things that I I hope that 
I can convey to you this morning is this. I hope that you can see that God is absolutely sovereign in salvation, and that is for His glory. And the second is this, that you feel, you sense this urgent need of missions, and that you act upon it. And so, with that being said, so... The question is, how is it that God is sovereign over evangelism? Well, I, first of all, I just want to just tell you real quick what evangelism means. Evangel, that word just simply means the gospel. And evangelize is to preach the gospel. So evangelism is to take the gospel and to go proclaim that, to go speak that to a lost and a dying world. And so in this, how that God is sovereign over evangelism, I want to look at four things. And you guys know that I'm not very creative, so I believe this has to be God-given. I was sharing a little bit of this with Randy because he would be so proud. <laughs> the four things this morning are this. It's the mission. God's sovereign over the mission. The messenger. The method and the message. How do you all like that, huh? Yeah, Dylan, I mean, from somebody as creative as Dylan, you know. And as a matter of fact, I've preached sermons before where I, my points were just all these, you know, random thoughts. And after I got there, Randy goes, hey, you could have used that. And I'm like, ah. So anyway, I don't even know what that's called. But, uh, but here's what I want you to understand. In eternity past, the Godhead counseled together how everything would be and come to pass. And in the council... God chose how he would save his people, meaning by what means he would save them. And so with that being said, here's the thing. God has saved people and he has put it in them. He's empowered them to go and preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news that sinners can be saved from the wrath of God and spend eternity with him. So the first thing we want to look at this morning is the mission. And uh, I didn't really have time. I didn't really have the strength always to write everything down. So I will be turning in my Bible. And I'm a big believer in real Bibles. I mean, you can use your phones. Kenny's back there with his phone. Okay, that's great. We do have technology today, but I'm old fashioned. I'm old school, man. I like a leather bound Bible. I like to hear pages turning, so if you're using your phone, just turn the pages in the hymnal and make me think that, okay? But in, in the book of Mark, in the 16th chapter, in verse 15, this is what Jesus said. He said to them, he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And we're talking about what is the mission? We're talking about people are going to be saved, and so... We have a mission in front of us, and what is it? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is our mission as the church. In, in Matthew chapter 28, this is in, in both of these, these, uh, these gospels that I'm looking at, we're looking at after Jesus' death and his resurrection, and he's came back and he's, he's giving final instructions to his disciples before he ascends up to the Father. But in Matthew 28, he says this, starting in verse 18, he says, Jesus came and said to them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
So we see here that Jesus is the sovereign Lord. Okay, He is the King of kings. All authority has been handed over to Him by the Father to do what? He says to us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So all authority has been given to Jesus, and what has Jesus done? He has authorized His people with a mission, and that's to go out and preach the gospel. It is to go out and make disciples of all nations. The mission is to go into in all of the world, okay? Um... John Stott says this, he says, We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. That's from John Stott. You know, just real quick, when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and, and he flatters Jesus, I mean, I think, he, I think they really were looking at Jesus, I think this is the Messiah, but, but you know, you've got to keep your seat in the synagogue so you don't want to go publicly really be asking him anything that you really want to know. So he goes at night, he goes in secret, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're come from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless God is with him. Jesus responds with, unless you're born again, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. You're going to perish, Nicodemus. I mean, how do you answer somebody that just flattered you with that? Obviously, Jesus didn't go to the school of political correctness, right? But you get down in the in the Gospel of John, and see, we always everybody wants to turn to John six or John three sixteen, and and they want to they want to really they're quoting that out of context, or they're using it out of context. But because listen, if you look in verse fifteen, Jesus is is still having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he tells him he says, "Whoever believes in him may have eternal life." Now, Nicodemus, man, he's like, yes, yes, we believe that. Whoever believes in the Messiah will live forever. But then in context, church, John 3.16 says something entirely different from the way it's used. In context, here's what Jesus said. Oh, yeah, by the way, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. And when he says the world, he's talking about every tribe, every tongue, every nation, And he says that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I promise you at that point, Nicodemus knew the context. And at that point, Nicodemus was no longer shouting hallelujah. Nicodemus is going, wait a second, I thought he was just coming to save us, his people, the Jews. And Jesus said, no, I'm a global God. And I've come to give my life that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation can know me, can believe in me, and have eternal life. And so, the mission is to go into the into all the world. You turn to Acts chapter 1. It's terrible when you got a preacher that yells with a mic, huh? I don't know. Jacob gave up back there. He's like, I can't adjust this thing fast enough. Um, look what he says in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is, is giving these final instructions... And picking up in, uh, in verse 8, listen to what he says. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now listen, 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we see right there that he says, you're going to you're going to preach it right here in Jerusalem. You're going to go out around in Judea, the, the outer parts of this. You're going to take the gospel to Samaria. You know, those people that you despise and they despise you. And by the way, you're going to go to those heathen, pagan Gentiles. You're going to take it everywhere. And so we have a global God. We need to have a global vision to see people from all over the world be saved. Now, let me just tell you real quick what the mission is not. Okay? The mission is not to live a good life. And I'm saying these things... Okay, listen. I did not say... We are not to live a good life. I'm saying the mission, what we're out to go proclaim, the mission is not to live a good life. And what am I saying? There's so many people that say, well, I don't really talk to people. I just, I just speak to them by the life I live. Okay, that's not the mission. Okay? That's not the way the mission is performed. The mission is not to build big churches or little churches. It's not to build churches at all. That's not our mission. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The mission is not to write books. I've got a lot of young guys that, man, I mean, the coolest thing going on today is to write a book. And to have everybody tell about the great book you wrote, right? That's not our mission. The mission is not to rid the world of disease or abortion. That's not our mission. The mission is not physical healing. The mission is not to build schools. We had John Hall come here and talk about the school that they built. But that's not the mission. Now, my question is this. Can these things be of God? Absolutely. These things, when accomplished by God, will be used for accomplishing the mission, which is to preach the gospel. You know why? Brother Simpson and Brother John Hall, do you know why they built a school in India? So that they can proclaim the gospel. Now, in the process, they're educating children. In God's sovereignty, children are being educated. They're having the gospel preached to them. They're going to be saved. And in all this, that education is going to take them to places where God's going to providentially put people in front of them that they can proclaim the gospel to them and people can be saved. I will tell you this, God is sovereign over salvation and He is sovereign over the mission. Now, there's two types of mission call. One... Is a general call. The general call is this. The general call is everybody just to go and evangelize. I mean, we just, as we go, I kind of, the as you go, mission, I mean, that's that call. And I'm not making much sense. I'm kind of rambling there, ain't I? Okay, let me give you an example. Priscilla and Aquila heard a, heard a man preaching by the name of Apollos. And Apollos was, man, he was passionate. He was full of fire. He was an outstanding preacher. But as they were just going about and they listened to this guy preach, they said, you know what? He's, he's obviously probably talked to John, but he's not really talked to Jesus or anybody that's been saved. And, and so what they did was they took Apollos to the side and they said, can we share with you a little bit more about what John was talking about? And they expounded in him more completely the scriptures. And Apollos was saved. 
You see, that's what we go through as you're going to work, as you're going to school, as you're on, you know, your vacation, as you're just in line to do something. As you go, listen, folks, there's there's a way that we need to be intentional about the mission where we are actively pursuing things like like we will we'll all get a call or a text from Brady that says, hey, man, I'm going to go up to Bricktown tonight. We're going to be intentional about going. But there's also this side that we need to always be ready. Those are those times when you're just going about and you overhear something or you see you see a woman sitting on a bench crying. You don't know why she's crying. You say, ma'am, can I help you? She starts unloading her problems and you say, hey, can I? I'm on a mission here. Can I, can I tell you about it? And so we need to be ready. The other call is this, and that's a specific call. And this really is what we would call someone who has the gift of evangelism. This is like when the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The first group is generally what we would call the Jerusalem Judea group. It's just where you're at. You know, people say, what's that little saying? You know, uh, bloom where you're planted. Okay, well, you know, it's a little cute saying, but it's true. Wherever God has you right now, man, be active in the mission. Be active in it. But it, but also, God's going to specifically call certain people to go to certain places to preach the gospel. So that's our mission. Second point is this. The messenger. Had a... Had a young man come to my house the other night, and and I, I could, <laughs> I told you I'm not very creative. I was going to just say the men, but I thought, well, it's it's really people. It's it's men and women. And he goes, yeah, kind of like the messenger. And I was like, bingo. I said, man, you don't know how much you just helped me right there on a point. <laughs> so it's the messenger. God is sovereign over the messenger. Let me ask you a question: Who is to go? On this mission to proclaim the gospel. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really an evangelist. Well, I'll give you a Ray Comfort quote, okay? Ray Comfort says this, listen, evangelism is not for everyone. When I say that, usually I see people going like, yeah, that's, that's me he's talking about. He goes on to say that it's only for Christians. <laughs> evangelism is not for lost people. It's only for believers. So, here, here's the thing. I want you to understand something today. Because as I say that, some of you have never, ever shared the gospel with anybody. Not in a direct way. In some roundabout way, maybe. But I know that because years ago, I was in the middle of preaching a sermon about taking the gospel, the Great Commission, to all the world. And I'm in the middle of this sermon, and I thought, I don't even know what the gospel is. Really. I don't know what I would tell anybody. That's an alarming thought in the middle of the sermon about the Great Commission that I realized I didn't even know what it was because I was in a church that has no clue what the gospel message is. That kind of shakes your foundation a little bit. And I know that there's, I know of a lady here personally. She's a sweetheart of a lady. She was in, she's in a, a church, and uh, she got put as the head of the committee over evangelism. 
And one day it dawned on her, I've never shared the gospel with anybody. But somehow she was the leader of the committee over evangelism. See, these things happen right here in churches. Now, if you are a believer, it is your privilege and your duty to preach the gospel. Listen, it's, don't look at it as just some like, oh man. No, it is a privilege to get to go tell people about this Jesus who died for me. Died, took my sins upon him. He rose for my justification. And now it's this duty I have. It's a privilege to go tell people that. Listen, if you are a believer, it is because God loves you and chose you. And if he chose you, he has commissioned, commissioned you to be his messenger of his mission, which is to preach the good news. Well, you know, Ronnie, I, I hear what you're saying, but I ain't been a Christian very long, and I don't really know a lot. And so, you know, I, I just don't know. You know, I've got to learn a lot. I get people ask me a lot, you know, man, can we go? Can you teach me this? Folks, let me tell you something. I just told you I didn't know how to share the gospel. I didn't even know what it was. So when I started learning, I was watching Ray Comfort on Way of the Master. Look, if you want to really do some learning, just watch a lot of his videos. It just, they're, they're the same, but they're different every time. Me and Justin decided that uh, we think we can do this. We hadn't been to his school of training. We hadn't done anything. We just decided we thought we could do this. We actually did a role-playing thing at a Bible study. That went okay. Some people got saved. No, not really. Um, so we go over here to uh, North Hill Shopping Center. We started the old, where the movie theater was, and we made that half-moon circle. We talked to no one up. We talked to no one back. We didn't ever just say, hey, you go first, you go first. We're just kind of not even really looking at each other. We get back and we're like, whew. <laughs> we seen an old lady, but she looked pretty vicious. We skipped her. No, that, that's, the way it, that's the way it feels. Well, we finally broke through and started doing it. And it, you know, and it was, but here's what I want, to, I want to share with you this. In the book of John, in the fourth chapter, I just want to read kind of the end of this really quick. I want to read to you about somebody that would be the least likely candidate for evangelism, okay? Jesus had a divine appointment one day in, in Samaria. He said, I've got to go through here. And you've got to understand something. Jews didn't go through Samaria. When you was going from the southern part to the northern part, you didn't walk through Samaria because... We hate them, and they hate us, and they're disgusting, and we wouldn't step foot in their ground. So they would go all the way around to go from Galilee back to Judea and Jerusalem and all that. But Jesus tells his disciples, he said, I've got to go through Samaria today. And what he didn't tell them was, he said, I've got a divine appointment with a woman in a well. She don't even know I'm coming, but I'm, I'm coming there today. Sends the disciples to town to get some food while they're gone. He said, sir, she comes up for this appointment she doesn't even know about. Why? Because God's sovereign over salvation. And he starts talking to her. Now, you got to understand some things about Jewish customs. Men didn't talk to women in public, and rabbis especially didn't talk to women. You definitely didn't talk to a Samaritan, and you definitely didn't talk to a Samaritan woman. And in this case, you did not talk to a sinful Samaritan woman. Jesus explained to her, he says, you're not married, but you've had five husbands. You've had five, and the guy you're with now is not even your husband. 
He'd asked her to go call her husband. She said, I don't have one. He said, you're right. So he just explains this. She starts, things start opening up. Lord, I think you're a prophet. She starts asking about, telling about the Messiah. Jesus says, me, the guy talking to you, I'm that guy. About this time, his disciples show up. They don't say nothing, but they're looking like, what, what's, what's our guy doing? He's talking to this woman. What is, you have no idea how huge that was. We don't get it. But listen, after they walked up, if you look in chapter 4, Gospel of John, and verse 28, it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out into the town, and they were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He says, I have food to eat of that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Somebody brought him something to eat? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And look what he does. He gives them a life lesson right next. He says, do you not say there's yet four months and then comes the harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I have a feeling that as they were looking around, it really wasn't the time. But Jesus goes, look around. He says, you think it's four months off, but look, it's already happening. But he's telling them He's telling them a, a, an earthly truth for something that was spiritual that was about to happen. And he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He says, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here is the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Now listen to this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me all that I ever did. And so the Samaritans come. Now, you've got to realize something. As he's telling them this about reaping and sowing, he says, you're about to reap a harvest that you didn't even go sow the seed. This woman goes down, and she tells of the Messiah, the Christ. A sinful woman talking to men in public in the middle of the day because she had went to Ray Comfort's way of the master training earlier that day. No, she did it because she had had a divine encounter with Jesus Christ. She had had a personal meeting with him, and she could not contain that. And so there, the disciples there are reaping where this lady had sowed the seed of evangelism. And so, so why don't we evangelize? If you've never evangelized, what is it? I, I can tell you right now, pretty much, right here. It's, it's because of fear and ignorance. And when I say ignorance, I don't, don't take me like I'm saying you're dumb or you're stupid or anything like that. No, ignorance simply means that we just don't know. We, like, I, like I was preaching about the gospel. Let's go share it. Oh, I didn't even know how. I was ignorant of what to do. But I'll tell you this, fear breeds ignorance. We're afraid, and we, and we don't want to know. But here's what I want you to know. Listen. In, in, first, in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, probably should have wrote some of these down. This is what Paul says. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, he says, For this reason... He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, God 
gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. God has not placed in us a spirit of fear. He has placed in us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. He has called us with a holy calling to go and share that. He says, I want you to stir up that. In the later part of that book, he tells, he tells Timothy, who was the pastor over the Ephesian church, he says, he says, fulfill your ministry. Then he says, do the work of an evangelist. Or he says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He's telling this guy, you, you do that work. Go out and share with, with people the good news. Don't be intimidated. Don't draw back into fear. So church, listen to me. I want you to know this. God is sovereign over the messenger. Listen to me. He is sovereign over the messenger that came into your life that led to your salvation. I want you to think about it. And you listen to your testimony. Man, I remember whether it was a preacher, whether it was a friend or somebody, somebody came into your life. Paul Washer, he gives the testimony when he got saved. Paul Washer was a bully in college. He was a weightlifter. He, he would blast his ACDC at the church or the whatever across the road. He was a heathen. And one day, this little college student guy that was a Christian came up to his room scared because Paul Washer probably was going to just beat him down. And he went up, led by the Spirit of God, to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And God broke him and saved him. God has providentially led people into your life that led to your salvation. Now listen to this. God is sovereign. God is sovereignly placing people in your life so that you would be the messenger to bring the gospel to them so that they may be saved. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about all the people you're around every day and you're not doing anything right now. Some of those people are waiting for that divine appointment for that day for you to look at them and say, hey, you know what, I've, I've, I've had this on my mind a long time and this may be weird, but I just got to tell you about who I serve. I got to tell you, I got to tell you this good news. And I'm not telling you to do it like this. I mean, I'm, but do you understand what I'm saying? Because, see, what you don't know, what you don't realize is there's guys and they look tough sometimes. They look mean. They're foul. They're drinking and partying and fighting and cussing and all these things. And when they go home at night, they're in their bed and they realize they're on a road to destruction. They know they're going to hell. And I've heard this testimony personally. I knew I was on a road to destruction and I didn't know how to get off of it. But we just keep, we're doing our job. We just keep working. Waiting for, waiting for Bricktown one month away. No, you are the messenger. 
You have a message. You have got to start looking at life for what it really is. It's not about Darren working for the Chickasaws or Paul being a a teacher and doing those things or Randy printing T-shirts. No, it's those men doing what jobs they're doing and being the messenger of the good news. That's what it is. Next point. Third point is this. Skip the page. The method. The method that God has ordained is simply preaching. 1 Corinthians 1.17 Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That That's, that's it. God, we got, you know, people that Turn things around, but listen, God sent Paul to preach the gospel. He sent Peter to preach the gospel. He sent Hudson Taylor to preach the gospel in China. This seems simple. But listen, now this we're talking about the method here of how people are saved. Okay? This seems pretty simple. I mean, we should just go preach the gospel, right? But we live in a time where we see churches with the idea that, have you anybody ever heard this one? We don't want to preach to sinners. That just makes them feel bad. We just want to love them here. That's what our church is about. Anybody ever heard that? Because you should have. It's pretty popular. I want you to understand this. The most loving thing you can do for the lost is preach the gospel to them. I had a young friend. He was over in Africa, mission work. He says he's trying to share the gospel with this guy, and this guy's having a bad moment. And he's like, look, 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 I don't, I, don't need to, I don't need to hear all that stuff. I don't need to hear that. He says, I need this. I've got problems, you know. He's going on like this. And John, he's just sitting there, and he's going, no, look, man, I need to share this with you. He's like, oh, and he just, just went back and forth. The guy's getting pretty intense. Finally, John just goes, look, bud, if you step out in that street and you get ran over by a car and you die, he says, all of them problems are over. You've only got one problem left. And he goes, all right, I'll listen to you. It's not a bad thing, folks, to go and build things. It's not bad to go and put in water wells, to build churches, to build homes, to do things like that. But that is not the method that God has ordained, okay? Giving people water is not preaching the gospel. Giving people shelter is not preaching the gospel. Any humanitarian agency can do all of those things. Only Christians can take the most needful thing there is, and that is to preach the gospel. But, but Ron... We've got such a good relationship with them. We've gave them water. We've gave them clothes. We've taught them how to use all these, these things. We've got power to them. We've got such a good relationship. And if we start doing this, you know, it could anger them. We may lose our friends. Yep, you might. But I'll promise you this. If you don't do it, they'll be lost forever. 
They'll be lost forever. Now, we see this a lot. A lot of churches today have either lost sight of the mission or they've never really known it and they've replaced it with evangelism like how to grow a giant church. Look at how cool, relevant, hip, dope, sick, non-traditional our church is mentality. Pragmatism is the method of the day. This may be a little outdated, I don't know, but fog machines, create the mood, dim the lights, there's some method. I was in a church one time, I was in a church one time, and this guy says, man, we, we just got this thing, we're going to check it out. It was a disco, well, I never went to a disco, but when that light came on and it was whirling, it was like couples only. You had the skating rink. That's all I could think of, and I was like, okay, you know. So, man, you're from the 70s, but whatever. Um, car washes, um, that's not the method. Concerts, not the method. Churches that are so large, they develop their own youth league and sports, not the method. Raffle tickets. There was a church not too long, somewhere in, right around Ada that, they was going to raffle off a really high-dollar hunting rifle. Because, you know, men weren't coming to church because... I don't, who decorates our church? Because men... Wouldn't it be better to have a deer mount up there? That's, that was the mentality. That was the method that was being in a book. We've got to, make, we've got to put camouflage in places. We've got to have... Dustin's like, yeah... I mean, we got women decorating the church, and we're just feeling, you know, mamsy-pamsy, and, well, I don't even want to come, so let's change our method. But God forbid that we preach the gospel, because it's so offensive. I want you to understand something right now, just so you'll know. The gospel is offensive. It is offensive. By its nature, it's offensive. It's telling people, you are lost. You deserve to go to hell. You deserve to die under the wrath of God forever. That's pretty blunt, but that's really the message you're going to get. And that just doesn't set well with people, does it? But let me tell you something. You've offended a holy God. And so the only, the only listen, God has come. And he has terms of peace. But it's only going to be through preaching Preaching the gospel of Christ, okay? So, now let me ask you this. Does God use things like we mentioned here? Does God use things like that to bring forth the gospel? Sure. Can we use things like that? Sure. I mean, we got in, in Acts chapter 3, we have Peter and John going to prayer, and there's a lame guy. He can't walk. He's sitting there begging for money, and Peter says, look, I don't have any money on me today, but... What I do have, I'll give you. He says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. God healed a man. Use that. Not so this man could be healed, like a heal. Peter has a healing ministry. No. What did it do? You go through the book of Acts, and everything you see like that is always used as a springboard or to, to get to the platform to preach. People come and says, you know, they're not rejoicing that a man can walk. They're just wanting to know, how did you do it? By who, what name? You know, how did you do this? I mean, they're just demanding. It's crazy. And they said, oh, we'll tell you. 
by that name, Jesus of Nazareth. Just so you don't get confused with which Jesus we're talking about, we're talking about the one from Nazareth, that nothing good can, can come from there. That, you know, the one that you said, you don't even know who your father is. That one, in his name, this man was made whole. That same one that you crucified and God raised from the dead, that one. See, that's the method that God saves people. And I'm so tired and so sick of seeing so many people trying to come up with all these creative ways to save people and just any way we can do it but preach the gospel. Folks, it's not going to happen. God ordained in eternity past in his counsel. He said, I'm going to use my people to preach the gospel to lost sinners. That's the method. He used persecution. He used scriptures. I mean, think about that. He used the Bible. You got a man from Ethiopia reading the prophet Isaiah. It's like, wow, who's this talking about? God says, Philip, go join yourself to that chariot. He goes, what are you doing, bud? I'm just reading this scroll here, and I'm just not getting it. Well, let me preach Christ to you out of that. What a chapter to providentially fine too the 53rd chapter of isaiah wow i think that's what it was fourthly we have the message first corinthians 15 1 through 4 basically paul's just talking about the gospel but and he lays it out so clear but in in the last part of chapter 3 and in verse 4 he says this he says that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he has buried that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, right there, he just tells us. He said it's in his death, his burial, and his resurrection according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel message. Um, the good news to sinners that are lost and going to hell so that they may be saved. That's it. That's the good news. And this is the message that we are to speak. Now, I want to tell you some things that the message is not real quick, okay? The message is not, come to our church. We have a really cool church. And it's okay to love your church. But your church is not going to save anybody, okay? That's not the message. The message is not baptism. You see... The message, the reason when I was preaching on the Great Commission in that church I was in, and I didn't know what the gospel was, is because my message to him back in those days was, I had to figure out how to get you to come to church, to get up and preach, so that you would know that this is the only church going to heaven, and that you could be baptized, you know. That was my message, and I thought, that's not a really easy message to tell people. And I thought, is that really our message? It's not... Your spiritual experience, which most of those times when people are giving you those, most of those things are, are very unbiblical experiences. Overcome addiction is, is not the message. I've heard so many people say this. Man, if you want to overcome drugs, man, you just got to give your life to Jesus. If you want to quit drinking, you got to just give your life to Jesus. I asked, I was in a prison preaching one night, and I said... Is that, do we tell people to come to Christ so you can overcome addiction? They go, yeah. And I was like, no, no. So I was just like, okay, quit answering questions. I don't want to embarrass nobody, you know. No, you, you come because you're lost. Now, 
Does God deliver us from addictions? Yes, but that is not the message. Our message is not our absolutely hip and awesome worship team. That's not the message. And the message is not keeping rules slash laws slash commandments. We're going to tell you about Jesus, and we're going to tell you that you've got to keep all these things in order to be good enough that God will accept you into his presence forever. That's not the message. To get the message right is of utmost importance. You'll turn with me real quick to Galatians and look in the first chapter. He says this. Paul says in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But listen, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse. That word is anathema. It means to be damned to hell. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Your message is that Jesus came into this world for sinners. He took the sins of everyone who would believe in Him. He took them on Him. He took the wrath of God in their place. He died on their behalf. He took the penalty of sin upon Himself. And when every sinner repents and comes to faith in Christ, God imputes the righteousness of Christ to them. That's, that's the only message we have. We tell them about the death of Jesus, how He died for our sins. We tell them about they put Him in a tomb. They made sure He wasn't going to get out because they had heard some rumors that you know, something that he was going to three days later do something. So they, they made sure that it was shut up and sealed and no way could anybody come and get him. We got guards all around it, but guess what? Yeah, remember, God is sovereign, remember? And on the third day, he came forth and he rose from the dead. That's the only message we have that people can be saved. Paul also said in Romans chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. My question to you is this. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Is it something that you're, you're just, you know, you're ashamed. You just don't want to tell people that. But, you know, because people aren't going to believe it anyway. I want you to look around real quick, and I want you to show me the person that you knew that if they heard the gospel that they were going to come to Christ. Boyd? Some of you guys knew Boyd ahead of time, right? Y'all knew him before we did, when he had long hair and, I don't know, he described himself to me and it sounds hideous, okay? <laughs> Nothing against Boyd, but it sounds bad. Just picking on Boyd today. No. But here's what I'm saying. If somebody looked at him, he, he hated Christians, right? He had evil intentions for Christians. He's told me. He's not a candidate for salvation based on that criteria. But he's a candidate for salvation because he was lost and he was in need of a Savior. He needed somebody to come and share the gospel with him. Now, 
Anybody know what time I started? Because I swear I'm down. I wasn't going to take no more than 45 minutes, and I think I'm already past that. Am I? Okay, thank you. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to be as quick as I can. In Acts 13, I want to read to you, and we're going to look at everything that we just went over. In chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, what we see is we see God calling two men to the mission field. In verse 2, it says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. I want you to understand something. In the method that God uses, it is always preceded with prayer. It, prayer is during the, the mission, and prayer and praise follow when things happen. When either they've been beat for the name of Christ or whether we see people come to Christ, pray, pray, pray. So they go out into Cyprus. In verse 5, we see Paul proclaim the word of God. People are believing. In verse 8, people are opposing them. If you're really preaching the gospel, I will promise you this. The adversary will oppose. Okay? But in verse 12, what do we see? The proconsul believed. And when he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. We see salvation. In verse 13, the mission continues. They're headed on to Antioch of Pisidia. In verse 16, Paul stood up. Now, Paul's custom, and this is some of those methods. Paul, first thing is, now Paul sent to the Gentiles, right? But Paul, every town he would go into, he would first go to the synagogue of the Jews. As his custom was, he would go. They read the law, all their stuff's through, and they say, Hey, men, is there any of you guys want to say anything? Paul, I'm ready. Paul stands up. And he begins to preach. And you come down to verse 26. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. He's he's proclaiming the gospel now. And he says in verse 28, he says, he speaks of his death. He says, talking about the Jews, he said, they asked Pilate to have him executed. In verse 29, he says, They had carried out all that was written of him, and they took him down from the tree after he was crucified to death, and they laid him in a tomb. There's his burial. But in verse 30, he says, But God raised him from the dead. For many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and listen, who are now his witnesses to the people. So we see the gospel proclaimed. We see the call again. He says, the, all these ones that, that saw him and spoke with him after his resurrection, they're witnesses. And then in verse 32, he says, and we bring the good news, bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. All of the law, all of those prophets, everything that was said, he says, that's the good news they were talking about. And we're telling you about it right now. In verse 34, and he says, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, listen, not, not, mere, not theory, not a myth. But as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he spoke in this way, I'll give you the holy and sure blessing of David. And then he starts speaking about David. What he does, he appeals to to David. And what David said about Christ when he came, he said he he would see no corruption. Verse 37, he goes back to this, But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So what happens? He says in verse 38, he says that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you 
And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The gospel being proclaimed. And look what happens. He gives them a warning. He says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And he's talking about this. And this is what Justin preached the other day. He says, Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish. For what? He says, For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. And in verse 42, look, it says, They went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They were excited about hearing the gospel. But what happens? Opposition, verses 45. The Jews and the crowd, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So we see the opposition. And so after the Jews reject Apostle Paul's preaching, Look what he tells them. He says in verse 47, he says, For so the Lord, or no, he says in verse 46, he says, Since you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to listen closely. Now, I got your attention today. I've bored you to death. I want you to listen to this next line. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If God is sovereign, God wrote his word exactly the way he wanted it written. He did not say as many as believed were then appointed to eternal life. He says as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Over in Acts chapter 18, he says another one like this. This is after Paul had suffered some persecution. He tells Paul, he says, and he says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Now he's in Corinth at this point. He says, don't be afraid to go on speaking and don't be silent. That instruction should come to us today, brethren. He says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Listen, for I have many in this city who are my people. They just haven't heard the gospel yet to believe. God is absolutely sovereign in all things. God is sovereign over salvation. He is sovereign over the mission. He is sovereign over the method or the messengers. He's sovereign over the method. He's sovereign over the message. Everything about salvation is from God and accomplished by God. Period. So my question to you today is this. Do you see a need? I was kind of over there doing some things a while ago, trying to look up some stuff. And I heard Randy mention about, you know, some things I feel like God's put in in my heart, in my mind, about possibly, you know, going to Ireland. I don't know if that's where we'll go or not. When I went there, I sat by a man who was from Northern Ireland. But the thing he wanted to establish to me when he was there was he says, yeah, I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm down here working. He goes, but 
make no mistake, I am Catholic. I was like, okay. Well, after visiting a little bit, I realized that Catholic and Protestant to him was simply like, are you Democrat or are you Republican? Now, I'm from Oklahoma and I speak like this. And Paul tells me a lot, you know, you can't use double negatives, which I answer looks like I did, you know. Okay, I don't have a real great handle on the English language, apparently. Well, this guy's from Ireland, and he has about as strong an Irish accent as I do an, an American accent. So when we were talking, there's like this five-second delay. And then we also use in different words that we don't, like I don't use the words he uses to describe things and vice versa. So there might have been up to a seven- or eight-second delay. It's kind of like that. And sometimes you just go, ha, <laughs> and you don't know what he said, and I don't think he knew what I said. But we just kind of laughed and went on. But one of those times, he said something, and I was tired of saying, huh, you know what, and him repeating it. And I turned, and we was, we was watching some, some traditional Irish singing and stuff, and, and I'm looking, but as I'm looking, it's rolling in my head. I'm thinking, what did that guy just say? And I'm just, what, everything that I can remember, I just, it just kept repeating in my head. And when it, I finally dawned on me what this guy said, when I turned, he was already up and headed out to go pay. But what he said was this. He said, you know, I'm Catholic. You know, he's talking about these Protestants. He says, you know, he says, and then there's this other group. He said, these born-again Christians. He said, I don't even know what they're about. They've got their own church. And it, it was just so out of our conversation, it just threw me. But that has troubled me ever since. And since that time, I've gotten on the Internet and I've Googled things like, you know, and I've discovered this, that less than 1% of the Republic of Ireland, less than 1% is evangelical Christianity. Most of the Christianity is in Dublin. That's where most of your Christian churches are. Now, there are churches in you know, places, but I don't know. And I also found this out, that out of all of the English-speaking European countries... Ireland has less churches than any of the others. Now, I don't know what God has in store. And I want you to know this. Evangelism, in one definition of it is, it's to, it's to take the gospel where people have never heard about Jesus. We call it missionaries today, but it's really, it's really the gift of evangelism is what it is. What we call evangelist over here really isn't that dude, you know, doing a spring revival and a fall revival. That's that's not an evangelist. I'm just to break the news to you. That's not it. Evangelism also is to go back to the places where the gospel has been preached, and for whatever reason, it's been lost or it's about gone. And so, I don't know what all that holds. But there's this urgency because, you know what, I'm 51, I'm almost 52. When I turned 50, all of a sudden something changed in me. And I thought, I'm almost dead. I mean, I don't know what it was about 50, but I thought, man, what have I got? You know, five years left, ten years? Like John Piper's book, I don't want to waste my life. Now, I don't think I'm wasting my life being a part of our church. I thank God for our church. 
I frustrate my wife to death. I don't know why God puts opposites together. Just to bring one back and bring one along, I guess. I don't know. We was talking the other day and I said, my mind is this. Once a place is established and it's going and this, I don't really see a need for me sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that, but, but I, that's the way I feel. And I said, I'm ready to go to the next thing. And she's like, we're finally in a good church. We're finally in a decent size. I mean, you know. And I don't know. I'm not saying. I, I believe this, though. I believe my, here's the whole thing about why I want to go to Ireland. I have had this burning desire to go back, and I feel like God will either show me, hey, you need to come, or, hey, this isn't for you. I'm a very on-hands visual learner. I can pick up things just by listening to people talk. And so that's my prayer. My prayer request to you is pray for me in that. But at the same time, I want to encourage you to see the urgent need. Is God in control? Absolutely. But I'll tell you this, there's going to be people die today. And in our mind, we, we're like Spurgeon said, I can't lift up their back and see an E on their back. I can't see a yellow stripe that God said, this is mine. I can't do that. So there's this urgency to preach, to proclaim. I've told you the story before of my mom's brother, my uncle. We, we called him Uncle Curly. I mean, he spent most of his life in prison. I loved this guy. I mean, I don't know what it was. He was, a, he was an outlaw, but I just always loved him. I don't know why. But in his later years, I just kept thinking, man, I've got to share the gospel. But my uncle was highly intelligent for a guy who didn't go to school. He was into philosophy. He, he knew a lot of things. And I let that fear of, he's, he's not going to like this. He's not going to like this. So the next time, the next time I'm going to do it, the next time I'm going to do it, the next time I heard about him, I got a call that said, your uncle took his life. And here's all I can tell you. He wasn't saved. And you say, well, if he, if he was God's elect, he would have been saved. Well, guess what? I don't know who his elect are. So it doesn't change anything for me. I want to preach the gospel to everybody. But here's what I know. Ask me this. Do you wish you'd had the opportunity to tell him about Jesus? Yeah. I wish that wasn't hanging over me. That I didn't take the opportunity to do it when he was alive. I would much rather know this, that at least I shared the gospel with him, that he could hear it. So I want to encourage you. When I talked about why we don't evangelize, it's because of fear and it's because of ignorance. The ignorance, sadly, is this. We don't know Jesus like we should. Get in the Word of God. Learn about Jesus. Exercise that faith. Step out. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to tell you straight up right now. Yeah, it's a scary thing to go evangelize. You're going to feel it. It's going to grip you. Am I telling the truth, Justin? Almost every time. There, you know. Start looking at people and saying if somebody doesn't tell them the good news, they have no hope. And don't wait for it to be somebody else. When he's talking about the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, he says, pray that God would send forth labors. Don't forget to mention your name in that. And quit thinking you don't have the ability. The Samaritan woman didn't have nothing about her that was compelling to tell anybody about Jesus. But yes, she did it. 
Would you all pray with me today? Father, we just want to come before you, God, and I, I just ask you, Lord, that you would light a fire in us, God. Let us get rid of all of the nonsense, the silliness, the, the idols that we hang on to, whether it's sports, whether it's hobbies, whether it's just acting like a clown, whatever it is. God, let us be men and women who are sober-minded. I'm not saying it's wrong to have fun. Lord, you, I believe that you gave us laughter and you gave us a sense of humor and all those things. But God, let us put our priorities in the right place. And God, let us seek you to be used to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.